Welcome to the Doodle Kisses podcast, an extension of doodlekisses.com. I'm your host, Adina Pearson. Doodlekisses.com is the social network for Labradoodle and Golden Doodle owners, wannabe owners, and the doodle curious. The goal of this podcast is to provide education, entertainment, and connect with our Doodle Kisses members on the topic of Labradoodles, Golden Doodles, and dogs in general. Hey, everybody. As you may have noticed, with the lack of a new episode last week, the Doodle Kisses podcast is making some changes. This podcast relies in part on your donations. As I looked forward to the next several months, I realized we may quickly run short on funding if we don't slow down. I totally prefer to put out weekly episodes. One, it's really fun for me and keeps me on my toes. And two, during this coronavirus stay-at-home stuff, it really gives me something to look forward to every Monday when all the days kind of blend in together. But in order to keep this podcast going, we're going to have to make some changes, and that includes moving episodes from weekly to every other week. Now, I'm not going to hold on to that strictly, simply because I really don't know what the future holds. And so things may change in the funding department, and we may be just fine going to weekly episodes. Or I may end up learning how to do the editing myself, not crossing my fingers on that, but I'm going to at least give it a shot. (laughs) If I learn to do it on my own, then it won't cost much at all. So I'm going to aim for every two weeks, and there might be some weeks where I bring you something a little bit sooner just because I can. I also want to thank all of you who responded to the announcements that I made via email and social media. It really meant a lot to get your responses and hear that this podcast is something that you're excited about. We've also gotten a number of generous donations, and those are going to make a significant difference. So I greatly appreciate that. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your donations. And if you've enjoyed the education this podcast provides and have the means, please send us a tip via our GoFundMe page, which will be listed in the show notes. Okay, on to today's episode. This is going to be a little different because we're not really talking about dogs as much as we're going to be talking about ourselves. I reached out to some therapists to talk to us about coping during this crazy pandemic. There will be a general interview on general coping with Heike Rosenfeld, who has a golden doodle she's going to tell us about too. And then I'm going to talk to a few other therapists who will talk to us about coping as parents and coping for couples. I hope you find it helpful. Welcome to the Doodle Kisses podcast. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to have you. Now, Heike has a doodle of her own, and so I thought she would be a perfect match for Doodle Kisses um, on this topic. So, Heike, tell us your dog stories. For example, did you have dogs growing up, or was your doodle your first dog? So, I didn't have any dogs growing up, but I was one of these kids that was obsessed with animals and dogs. I just didn't grow up in a family that had the same (laughs) obsession. And so I remember I grew up in in Venezuela. That's where I'm originally from. And I remember that on Sundays, there was a street, there was a street in Venezuela where a lot of people, I guess, had dogs, um, possibly their home, their pets um, had given birth and they were selling puppies. And so we would go, my parents would take me there uh, to see the puppies and I would beg 
as much as I begged, it just never happened. And then the other thing that I remember doing as a child um, with my brother, who was on board with um, getting a dog, but not at all as adamant as I was, when my parents would go out for dinner or something like that, and we would stay home, I would grab a stack of paper and I would just write, I want a puppy, give me a puppy, please puppy. And I would put it all over the apartment. Literally, if you opened um, the, uh, what's it called? The, ah, where we actually do our things. (laughs) Say it in Spanish and then maybe you can translate. La boceta, which is um, uh, where where we pee. <laughs> just, I just for some reason can't think about that name. Um, if you would open it, you would see a floating paper that said, "I want a puppy." Or if you would, if if they were so the toilet, their, like you lifted the toilet lid. Yes, thank you. A toilet. Yes, I don't know why I forgot that name, but yes, if you would open the toilet, there was a paper floating saying, "I want a puppy." basically meaning everywhere you looked around my poor parents had to like um so many times clean the whole house of paper that said did it work give me a dog it never worked and I never really got a dog and I wanted it so much of course I got some this idea that you know lots of kids have dogs and then they end up not taking care of it and it's the parent who has to take care of it and we're not really dog people and so I never or did. And then as an adult, I told myself that I would get a dog as an adult. And when I had my own house, which is what I was told I was going to be able to do if I ever wanted it. And of course, I went to school and became a psychologist. And then I went to grad school and became, you know, well, when I say I became a psychologist first, it was in Venezuela. And then I moved to the U.S. and became a psychologist here by going to grad school and doing my doctorate. And so it was never a right time. There was never a right time to say, okay, I'm going to have a dog, especially for someone who's never had one. And so finally, um, about five years ago, because Kuma just turned um, five in, in March, I well, actually about six years ago, I said, you know what? It's never going to be the right time for my job, for my living situation, for my financial means. So I'm just going to do it. Now, at that time, I'm working. Um, in private practice um, as a psychologist. And I knew that I didn't want to get a dog and leave it at home while I went to the office. And, and I'm single, so I live alone. And um, there wasn't anyone who was gonna be at home. And um, I wanted a dog that perhaps would have an opportunity to become a working dog, a therapy dog, and to go through all of the steps. And so I started doing a lot of research on how to pick a dog that will possibly be successful in therapy work. And I took a few courses and did a lot of reading and tried to see what the experts had to say. And And then I also started to think about what kind of dog do I want? And so at that time, there was a dog in my life that I adored, and he was a husky. He has passed away since. He was my cousin's dog, but my cousin traveled a lot for work. So I would usually be taking care of this dog. His name was Einstein. And Einstein shedded so much. And I knew that um, in order for me to convince my the the people that worked at my office and 
um, you know, maybe some clients to allow my dog to come in for therapy that it most likely had to be a non-shedding dog. And so that's kind of what led to me finding the doodles. And, and, and I fell in love with seeing them on, online and social media and then meeting here one or two because it wasn't that popular in, in, um, you know, five, six years ago. And I found a few doodles on Instagram. And this is when I just started to have Instagram that were related so a bunch of people that were really communicating on their doodles and they were siblings. And I um, started researching different places that had doodles as a breed. I was really afraid to rescue because it was my first dog. And so I was really afraid of that idea and went with getting it from a breather. But I was astonished by the differences in prices that different breathers would have. And so here in Florida, they were going for so much money. And yet it seemed like a little bit further away and amazing dogs. Like I found these that were, uh, you know, people who had siblings and were staying in touch were not that expensive. And so I started researching, asking these people, engaging with these people, you know, questions, where did you get your dog? And saw that some of them were already therapy dogs, service dogs. And so I was like, okay, so this might be a breeder to talk to. And that's kind of how I got to her. Um, I came prepared uh, when I went to get Kuma. I actually had to take a flight because I didn't want to do the shipping and all of that stuff and have this puppy be maybe traumatized by being shipped in a plane and, and the breeder agreed. And so I flew drove an hour, had nine puppies to choose from. And I told myself, I'm not going to pick the cutest. I'm going to pick the one that passes most of my items oh. that will indicate a possible successful therapy dog. And the thing was, they were all cute. So it didn't really <laughs> matter. But Kuma, they all came running. So she just let them come in. And Kuma, they all came and said, hi, and the first sign that Kuma was the right dog for me, and there's a lot of people that say that the dogs pick you, you don't pick them. And I think that was my case, my feeling, is that they all came to say hi. And after a few minutes, they each kind of went their own way, doing their own things. They had toys and whatever. And this dog just sat next to me calmly oh. and let me pet him for what seemed like a while. And I was like, okay, I need to consider this dog. And so that was the first step. And then again, there were a lot of kind of little test items that I had prepared and he passed them all with flying colors minus one. Mm. Would you like me to tell you yeah. what that one was? <laughs> so one of the tests is it's the startle uh, response and recovery. And so you're supposed to do something that startles them and what they recommend, although you can do many different things is just grab like a food, their food bowl, um, and just let it drop on the floor and it will make a loud noise. And so the idea is that they all get scared, right? And then you want to see a recovery. Then you want to see that they come out and are curious about what was that? Well, all of these dogs did so great on their recovery. They all came out slowly to see this dog, my dog would not come out. Aww. He was so afraid. And so that was the one thing I knew 
but he was very calm and loving and allowed me to do so many things and didn't have a response versus other dogs were fidgety and wanted to, you know, not be put on, on their stomach and things like that. And so I just said, you know, I'm going to get him and I'm going to have this knowledge that he can be afraid of many things and have the patience and to, to be with him and show him the world and expose him to things that I think he might encounter as a therapy dog and hope for the best. And that's what I did from the beginning. I exposed him to things like bikes and strollers and elevators and all kinds of people and people in a wheelchair and whatnot. And, and how did he do? Worked. Did he, did he seem like he easily startled and didn't recover after that? Or was, did that seem like a false negative later? Or false positive, well, sorry. No, yeah. So so he does get afraid of new things. Um, but I've exposed him to so much that and hopefully in a positive way, which has been my my aim and, and my goal. And I have a lot of patience with him. So so he does does sometimes react to like, okay, I don't know what that is. Um, but then I'll show him and he's not a dog that runs away. So I take him off the leash and I'll say, look, like for instance, yesterday we were walking last night and I've been walking a lot at night with him because there's not a lot of people. And I guess there was like a trash can where a big trash can where it's never been, but because it was night, he couldn't see exactly what it was. Well, but as soon as he saw something, he was like, I'm not going there. So I just took the leash off. There was no one around. He doesn't run away. And I kind of (laughs) stood next to the trash can and I showed him that it's just a trash can and I touched it and then he slowly came and smelled it very carefully and I'm like okay so that's kind of been the experience that there are many things that scare him but if I allow him to come at his own time he'll he'll be fine and so things like wheelchairs and walkers and things like that do not scare him because he's been exposed um, since he was a baby You did wonderful work with him early on to help him be acclimated to the world that he was going to be in. So that's, that's awesome that you knew that because somebody else could have not done that test and not really known what he was going to be like and maybe didn't socialize him. And then they would have had a problem in a dog that, you know, couldn't be in the world. So I love your story with Kuma and how does he kind of work in your office? Is he kind of just there hanging out? Does he sit on the couch by your clients? First of all, he's been coming to the office literally since he was two months old. And by then, by that, at that time, that wasn't, obviously he wasn't a certified therapy dog, but he was a therapy dog in training. And since then we've had all of the things that we need in order to certify him and he is certified. Um, and so he comes to the office, he loves coming to the office, and he's very, very calm dog. And it's been really interesting because I have just a broad range of things that I may be able to do with him or not. Sometimes he is kind of doing what you just asked, which is he's just there uh, sitting. And maybe maybe some of my younger clients like to sit on the floor with him and just pet him while they talk. And if he hears someone crying, he might come and put his face on their lap, things like that. He tries to comfort people. Um, but he's very calm, not a dog that barks or, you know, um, um, reacts um, a lot. Now, I've had a few experiences that have been interesting. So I don't, 
uh, I'm a psychologist, but I don't see children. I see adolescents and adults, but I've worked with in an office where there are other psychologists that see little children. So I, for instance, um, had my colleague ask me, could Kuma help me with this little girl who's really, really interested in dogs. Um, and I would say she was like about eight, but has an obsessive compulsive disorder diagnosis. And she's just wants to say hi to the dog, but is scared about getting dirty. And so she did um, a few minutes of work with him and, and I was present and this little girl just got to the place where she, she was allowing him to, to kiss her and give her kisses and in her hand and playing with wow. the ball that, that was in his hand. Um, and my colleague always says, you, your dog help this little girl so much with her disorder and getting exposed to, to that. And so that, yeah. that's an example of something he has. Been. Another one is we worked on the relationship. Um, I've seen a client, um, uh, older teenager, about 17, that was really having a lot of communication problems with her mother. And one of the things that the, her mother was really reactive to is this young girl, young woman, screaming at her all the time. So they, they weren't really being able to have a calm conversation about certain things. And so when Kuma was present, because he is a little bit reactive, but again, his reactivity is not barking or doing anything aggressive. He just like, you can tell he's paying attention and it bothers him. So whenever we would have like a family therapy session between with these two um, mom and daughter and the daughter would start screaming, Kuma would like get up from her side and was like, look at her. And so she would be like, am I scaring him? And I would say, I think so. I think Kuma's having the same reaction that maybe other people in your life are. Mm. So she would calm down and lower her voice just because the dog was reacting. And so again, uh, this is just another example of because of his presence and the way he reacts to people um, and emotions, especially if someone like this teenager girl that really cared about being kind to the dog um, could really have an impact on, on a session. Oh, how interesting. So we're going to quickly talk about how, you know, coping skills for us humans, but I'm wondering how, what are Kuma's ways of kind of de-stressing? So after a stressful session, what, what do you do with him? What kinds of activities help him feel calm? So Kuma loves walking outside um, and he love and he loves friends, but Nothing like how much he loves playing with the ball. So I always have a ball. Um, this dog loves playing ball and catch. And when that is going on, that is the only thing he is paying attention to. So he loves other dogs. But if there's a ball around, not paying attention to anyone else but that ball. Uh -huh. um, so that's um, something that I try to do daily with him, even if it's just 10, 15 minutes. Uh, he will not stop until I stop. <laughs> so I, I, I uh, and I got to be careful because I'm in Miami um, during the heat, during the months of the summer. I've actually had um, the unfortunate experience of one time him just um, overheating. Yeah, kind of like collapsing and just um, from um, heat. And it scared me so much because I didn't, for a few seconds, I was like, did he just die? I, oh, I was just really scary. Very scary. And so he doesn't know how to stop. 
<laughs> so now I know that I have to stop, um, especially during the heat because, um, he can just go and go until he passes out. Mm-hmm. So the ball is his, <laughs> his thing. <laughs> and that's so, I love that about dogs because if I'm stressed about something and I'm ruminating and I could go run or play ball or something, but then I'm back <laughs> to ruminating where I think dogs, they might be a little stressed or uncomfortable and then they play ball and that's what's happening. And then the ball's done and it's the next thing that's happening. And there's, you know, if only I, we could like transfer some of that into us, that in the momentness. So now thinking about your clients and people in general, what have you noticed from clients, from friends, from other people that you've interacted with? How, you know, how is this COVID-19 affecting them? What are common reactions and stress responses? So clients I see, a lot of them, I, I specialize in eating disorder treatment and disordered eating and body image. So a lot of them, as you can imagine, are having a reaction with regards to their relationship with food and their bodies. Um, They're very much, some of them might be having struggles that they thought they were not dealing with anymore kind of come up. And I really think it has to do with anxiety and stress. Mm -hmm. Um, I also see a lot of clients that may not have uh, right now some eating or body image issues, but have a lot of stress. I, I actually have a few clients that even before all of this started, were struggling with panic attacks and mm. a lot of anxiety. So that's, that's been interesting. Um, initially, there was a lot of anxiety. I, I, I have seen some of my clients um, for a while uh, through telehealth, but I certainly wasn't 100% a telehealth provider. And so the ones that had to transition really had a hard time transitioning, but understood that's what we needed to do. But basically, just a lot of anxiety um, Mm -hmm. with, so we're not going to see each other again in person. So a lot of stress with regards to that idea. And what do you recommend when anxiety rears its ugly head in times like these? What are some common go-to exercises or ways of changing your thinking about life? I think part of what you were saying before about the dogs and this idea that they have this capacity to just kind of stay focused on the activity that they're having, I was going to say that that's kind of, I, I don't really like the word perfect because I don't think that exists, but in a way they're like the perfect mindful being. And so that's been a lot of the key on working on mindfulness um, because mindfulness, anxiety typically lives in the future, right? Mm -hmm. Usually when we're anxious, we're thinking about, so what's going to happen in a week? What's going to happen to my job? What's going to happen financially? What's going to happen with school? Am I going to be able to go to graduation? Um, Is there going to be a graduation? These are all questions where where I've been talking about. And so if you see anxiety is in that future, and the thing is that we don't know, that's, 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 thing we don't know we only know about the present and of course we know about the past but we only really know right now what what's happening in this moment and so part is that mindfulness piece that being in the moment as much as we can and so with some clients we you know of course our mind wonders and so we understand that our mind is going to go there right in this future place or in this worry about the future and then the practice of coming back to the present and in this moment that's a practice of mindfulness and so we talk about maybe limiting 
worry time, right? Maybe not eliminating it because uh, we don't want to avoid it. Every time we avoid anxiety or not avoid, we don't want to pay attention to anxiety. That doesn't mean it goes away. So we want to pay attention. We want to notice it, maybe name it. By naming it, we feel a little bit more under control. So, but the first, but the first step is noticing it when it's there. And then uh, we might want to even know what is the source that this anxiety is coming from? Where is it coming from and what is it trying to tell me? And, and then come back to this moment and kind of have this um, acceptance piece of whatever is coming up that is okay. And have this, the idea of, of, of mindfulness is to have this kind of non-judgment approach to whatever's coming up and yet curious as to what, what is that? What is it trying to tell me? So beyond that, I always like to get a, a little bit um, more specific because mindfulness is a practice. I try to, you know, once you know that it's anxiety or stress or worry and you're able to identify it, name it, uh, maybe even know what's the source of it, we want to work to maybe get very a very concrete plan to take actions um, as to the things that we can do and we can control. And so depending on and what it is that's coming or what's the source, if it is job related, then we want to think about what are some steps, very concrete steps that I can take in order to do some things. Or if it's school related, what are some steps? And then we want to practice. I think that this is a piece that I've been, I find myself that I've been talking to so many people and I find that I'm doing this for myself, which is uh, the practice of self-compassion. Through all of this, this is kind of an unprecedented moment. We, we don't know. There's no formula of how to do this well. And so we have to have so much grace for ourselves. And, and I think the practice of self-compassion um, can really be helpful. And I typically, when I talk about the practice of self-compassion, I really, I'm talking about the work of mostly um, Kristen Neff. And um, I know Christopher Germer also talks and they, they kind of collaborate a lot on, on their talks of uh, and, and explaining what self-compassion is. And so I just want to name the three elements of self-compassion. One of them is mindfulness. And we kind of just talked about it is realizing when I'm not feeling great or I'm, I'm having feelings that are making me feel not yeah, not good. Um, so that might be anxiety, worry, sadness, anger, and then really remind ourselves that we are not alone. And this is, this is incredible because whatever we're going through right now, it is a worldwide struggle. And so really remind ourselves that we're not alone and that most likely somewhere, and even we might know even some of these people, they're having the same kind of feelings and struggles that we are. And then the last piece is the most obvious piece when we talked about talk about self-compassion, which is that kindness. And so being kind to ourselves, gentle, patient with ourselves as we would with someone else that we really loved. Um, what would we say to them if they were struggling or having the same feelings we are? And so whatever we would say to them is something that we can say to ourselves, even if it's difficult. Yeah, I love, I think the practice of self-compassion is so beautiful because it does, it helps you, it reminds you that you're only human too. And if you're not going to be demanding so much of everyone around you, don't demand that much of yourself and realize you're just a person trying to make it 
in this crazy time. You mentioned acceptance. And I think that's one of the hardest things for a lot of people to wrap their mind around because accepting something I hate or something I don't like feels like you are having to fake that you like it or be okay with it or not do anything to move forward. So how would you conceptualize acceptance? What does that really mean practically? What do we do in our thinking and what do we, what would that look like on a practical level? Well, it's, we can talk about radical acceptance, um, um, which is just really being open to whatever is coming up for us because it's really not so much about the situation, but our reactions and feelings about those situations and just really being open to what those are, because even if they don't feel great, they're not going anywhere. Um, and so really just being open to them and accepting them, accepting those reactions to whatever is going on. Um, and so that just, what, what does that mean? It means not being judgmental, not going into, why am I angry again? Or why am I, you know, sometimes I'm getting a lot of people with reactions to even things that they are hustled about. Why am I reacting? Like I had someone say yesterday to me, so my printer broke down and I started crying. <laughs> I don't usually cry because the printer <laughs> broke down. And so it's, it's right. It's that idea of, and yet it's okay because it makes sense. It's not the printer. The printers, the printer might be the last drop in that full glass that you have right now. But be okay with it. Accept that this is your reaction right now to the printer. Don't judge it. Don't go into, why am I crying? This is so silly. You are. You're just really feeling whatever it is, overwhelmed, sad, pinpoint what that is. And be curious about it because most likely it's not about the printer. It's about all of these other things. And bring some compassion to yourself. I think one of the best things that I've heard or that I guess the things that have been meaningful to me personally also is this idea that, because you were saying about accepting something that is really hard, I guess it's just not judging it for me, but this idea that if we can remind ourselves of other moments that we've struggled, that have been hard, and we can really access those memories of how we dealt with those moments, how we met those moments, and, and how we were able to get through them, even if it wasn't in the perfect way, which doesn't exist. But really become aware of our resilience as people and our grit and having the capacity to, to go through this, even if it's difficult. I think that can really help with acceptance too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Anything else, you know, that you feel like is an important message for people struggling, which is everybody in one way or another during this yeah. time? I think just really thinking about basic self-care right now is important beyond like managing stress or anxiety that might come up. Just really thinking about basic self-care like sleep. Um, have to sleep. I having a lot of people tell me I'm going to bed at four in the morning. I'm like, no, what are you doing to sleep? You need, you, need, you need to create a little bit of a routine for yourself so it doesn't feel as chaotic. You need to eat and nourish yourself regardless of anything, whether you're dealing with an eating disorder or disordered eating or not. It's important to nourish yourself. Mm -hmm. We all are allowed and, and should <laughs> take care of ourselves in that way to connecting. Yes, I know that many people have heard this already, but I like to put it out again. 
connecting with others. This is really about social distancing physically from others, but not necessarily emotionally. So reach out to the people in your life and, and talk and talk about something different than coronavirus. Limiting all of that information, all of the coronavirus, right? Right now people are saying, yeah, I'm, I'm inundated. I'm, I'm feeling a lot of stress. Every, you know, a lot of the news sometimes is, sen- what's the word? Help me out here. You know, sens- sensational. Sensationalized. Thank you. That's one of those words that I can't say in English, <laughs> but I know what it means. I just can't say it. Uh, it's one of those words I have to practice, but yes, it's being that. And so we, we might have to limit where do we get our news from and how much. And then one last thing. Well, I think it's important to go outside, if, especially if you can, if you're in a place where you can, it's important to go outside regularly, at least once a day. But uh, another thing is just help your mind focus not only on the negative. Of course, it does exist. Of course, this is hard. And of course, we're struggling. And yet there are so many incredibly um, beautifully told stories about generosity and goodness that is happening around the world. And so try to counter some of the negative that we're getting and that is true and real and that this is, can be even a scary situation and, and really a painful one for a lot of people that might be losing people in their lives. But try to also focus on what is the good that is happening because it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can counter some of that space in our brain with, with all of the negative. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It reminds me of um, Mr. Rogers' statement, something like, look for the helpers, you know, when things are crazy, look for the helpers when there's bad news. And there's so many people doing wonderful things out there, to of generous things, of giving away food, of, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I know for myself, I go in and out. I'll be like, everything's going to be fine. You know, I'm cool, calm, and collected. And then like a few hours later, I'm like, oh, <gasps> like we're going to be financially bankrupt. <laughs> I'm going to have to learn how to homeschool for the rest of my children's life, you know, et cetera, you know, catastrophizing way out there. And then I'm back to normal a little bit later. So I think it's also normal to just go up and down and not, not have it steady, steady calmness. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And so just trying to train ourselves to if you find that you're in in the chaos and 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 in the struggle that that's true it's not that it's that we're not insane this is really happening but also look at the good and look at the reality which is we're all everyone is struggling so something's gonna have to happen like maybe schools will have to be cheaper I don't know what it is and you won't have to homeschool you know what it is you know right. what I mean but like yeah. it's not one person or one family going through this this is everyone going mm-hmm. through this. so so as a society we'll have to figure out what the next steps are um, yeah but this is not forever this is not permanent this is for now yeah. And I, the next step makes me think of for myself when I feel like I'm being pulled between two extremes, you know, like, for example, you know, do sanitize a house and pour bleach on everything. I mean, I'm not really being pulled in that <laughs> extreme direction and just forget it. And who cares about cleaning? I have to think, okay, what's one thing I can do? <laughs> it doesn't have to be all the things. You don't have to do, you know, take a list of 30 possible ways to prevent coronavirus and do all of those and make sure you do them perfectly. You can do three or five or whatever helps keep you feeling okay. Right. 
right? This is about, in a way, creating safety around ourselves. And so that might look different for everyone, but it's also about creating safety for other people outside. And so mm. maybe just following the, the most common things, right, that, that are being mentioned, like cleaning your hands and washing them regularly and, and keeping the social distance and you know, might be some of the things that we think of right away. But yes, no, you don't have to go and, you know, just install like a, you know, one of those, what are those? See, now I'm forgetting words. I'm really good at forgetting words. (laughs) (laughs) Those ceiling, those things that are on the ceiling when there's a fire, it rains down upon like bleach water, (laughs) just everything. (laughs) I don't know what they're called. So (laughs) sprinklers, ceiling sprinklers. I don't know. And that could apply to most things. It's not just prevention of catching a virus, but like how well you homeschool or how well you're doing your business, I guess, right? Like, okay, I can't do it perfectly and I don't want to give it up entirely. And I just have to make do with whatever and be okay with that. Well, thank you so much, Heike, for being here. I appreciate it. And I'll put a link to your practice in case anyone's in your area that needs help with the things that you work with. And I'm going to put a link to Kristen Neff's website too, because that's a good one to learn a little bit more about self-compassion. Absolutely. I agree. Thank you so much for having me, Andina. It was a pleasure. Hi, Cassidy. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's good to see you. Nice to meet you too. We haven't met before. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about yourself and your practice. Yeah, sure. So I am actually in Heber City, Utah, and I have a group practice called Purple Sky Counseling. Uh, but I specialize in working with trauma and attachment, and I, I really work with women and adults that are looking to figure out their underlying stuff that's keeping their, them stuck and really be able to move through that so that they can live the life they've always wanted. Awesome. Thank you. So we're talking to different therapists in this episode, and I'd like to know what kind of things are coming up for those clients of yours that are parents during this coronavirus and being stuck at home? For a lot of my clients and, and friends and me, um, a lot of the things coming up for parents is just this expectation of something doing something they've never done before. Um, this expectation that they have to be teachers and working and at home with their kids all day long. Like that's not normal and that expectation is wrong. How do you recommend that parents look at this new normal? So, and it might be different, I imagine, for parents of toddlers and preschoolers versus parents of grade schoolers versus teenagers. Tell us a little bit about what kind of advice you have for for parents of different age levels. Well, I think you're right. Like, it, it definitely is going to look different for all age levels. So for my, I have little people and my little people are three and four and their world hasn't been impacted as much as anybody in a school system. Um, and so there's less impact for them. So I don't have to do as much recovery and like making sure that they're okay. Uh, but if you have a three and a four year old that are going to preschool and can't go anymore, um, then really letting them grieve, not being able to be there, letting them be sad about not seeing their friends. Um, and I think that's a really important piece of that for all ages, actually. Um, The other thing about having littler people like five, six and under is remembering that school time for them is not eight hours long. Mm -hmm. They learn in 15 to 20 minute increments a couple times during the day and the rest of it's play. And so figuring out how to find that balance in your world too. Mm -hmm. 
if you're working with kind of like the elementary school age kid, they need more hands-on help with learning. But again, they're only going to be learning for one to two and a half hours a day, depending on your kid and your kid's needs. So finding what is their ideal learning time, right? Typically mid-morning for most children and adults. And then just spending that directed time in that space. And then building in the other things that they need. They need outside time, they need movement time, or PE, right? Or play time, or just relax and do nothing time. And snack breaks. Yes, (laughs) snack breaks, right? In the morning and in the afternoon. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And with high schoolers, you have a lot more flexibility of letting them kind of do their schedule and putting the responsibility on them, but still kind of managing it as a parent as opposed to a teacher would. Yeah, yeah. And I imagine the challenges for parents of, you know, five, six-year-olds and under is that they don't entertain themselves for very long without needing something or they might fight with their siblings. I know that in my practice, I'm a dietitian. And if I'm, for me personally, this is how I experience it. When I'm with a client on a call, somehow things work (laughs) magically and they're fine. But as soon as I'm done, I feel intense pressure to be back out there to like somehow check on what they're doing. And, you know, even charting is like, do I really need to do this right now? My house is small and I can kind of hear a little bit, right? And I don't know, how would you speak to that pressure to hurry up and finish just the bare necessities versus having a little wiggle room for, you know, doing a better job. I think part of it is having self-compassion and being aware of that, right? Like if you're used to commuting to and from work, you actually have time built into your schedule for notes, for charting. Mm -hmm. Plus you might even have a 20 or 30 minute drive to like let your brain defog. Yeah. That doesn't go away just because you're at your house. So how can you actually cushion the beginning and the end of your time to make it so you can clear and get those things done so you can actually be more present at home, right? Because a lot of times when you're running and you're like, oh, I shut the computer, my session's off. Oh, look, hello, you're all here, right? You don't let yourself shift from work mode to home mode. And for some of us, we need more time in that and some of us need less, but I think we all need it in in different ways. Absolutely. Yeah. And allowing yourself that time, you know, not feeling guilty. That's so hard. So I think guilt is a huge feeling that's coming up for a lot of people, right? Mm -hmm. They're expected to be a teacher and a parent and a worker and they have to run their job and they have to make dinner, right? So we have to really look at the guilt, I think, and really see where it's coming from. Um, Because a lot of the guilt, I think, is coming from places that isn't ours to begin with, um, and and they're misappropriating expectations, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be an amazing parent while I'm working. I can't work and parent at the same time, right? Those are those don't work together, and so you have to give yourself a little bit of that self compassion in that to allow for it to be different than it has been in the past. Yeah, I imagine some people do better with um, more strict structure and timeline for the day and other people have to kind of just wing it. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Um, And I am kind of not a schedule oriented person, uh, but I do think kids really thrive with structure and schedule and they know it's, it's easier for them to know what to expect. And so I try and set up routines instead of like 
from 10 to 11 and from 11 to 12. So during this time, this is our routine and that tends to be more flexible for me. Yeah, I'm the same way. Like I think at first I think schedule and then pair it back a lot, you know? So here's the times mommy's working. Here's the things you need to do. Let's see how it all <laughs> falls together. The other thing that I think comes up with that is we have to figure out a way to back off on all the things we're expecting of ourselves. Mm -hmm. uh, like, I think this comes up with screen time a lot. The rules before this with screen time, we probably had very strict, rigid or expectations around screen time. I think it's different now. Mm -hmm. um, if I have to work and that's all that's going to work right now, then I'm going to be super flexible on that expectation. Yeah. Um, just because that's all I can do. And it will be okay. I mean, it's still hard to let that go. And I think there's, it sounds like there's mourning in a lot of areas. There's mourning for how my day is always as a parent. There's mourning for the children's sake and that they're missing school. There's mourning that you can't be this amazing teacher and parent. There's mourning for your ideals about screen time. A lot of people have really strong ideals and a lot of like evidence to back up why they shouldn't have screen time. And so there's so many little bits of mourning. <laughs> I think you're right on. I think grief is such a huge piece of this. And, and really, people are shaming themselves over not being a good enough parent mm -hmm. or not being a good enough employee or not being a good enough provider, right? Because of these, these pieces of grief that are showing up. I am not a school teacher. That's not my role in my kid's life. And it never will be. I, I haven't chosen homeschool. And so I am not going to put that expectation on myself. I'm there to facilitate learning if I can. And if I can't, I can't. Yeah. And if you have just one child and you can go with the flow of their interest, you know, I keep reading how that's a good idea. Like if your child isn't into this particular assignment, they're going to be okay. And nobody's going to fall back alone. Everyone's going to you know, if they do get behind, it'll be a collective getting behind. It's not like your child is going to necessarily stand out as the one who didn't get ahead. Well, I think it's super important in this, right? Like the whole world is going to be behind and we're all going to be okay. Like we're all going to be in it together. And that's the piece that I think if we can remember instead of getting stuck on those little pieces or jumping on the shame pieces, that will help us walk through this without putting more shame and guilt on ourselves. Oftentimes we hear from moms, they're the ones that are sort of in charge of homeschool and, and whatever else they may have been in charge of before, whether they were working moms or not. And it seems I rarely, and maybe that's just because men don't talk about it as much, but, and I have more female friends perhaps on Facebook, but I always hear from moms, like how hard this is, how being a mom. And I imagine with both parents home, very likely nowadays, unless one is a healthcare worker, one of the other essential services there's bound to be some headbutting about parenting styles because if mom has been the one to be home or let's say even dad, if one parent has been home and they're the ones who have kind of structured things and they'd use their disciplinary tactics and whatever, now the other parent is home and they're both interacting with these kids in the scenario only one parent did before. Do you have any advice for how to manage maybe different parenting styles? Absolutely. First of all, it's hard and it's brand new. Um, I think it's really important to remember you've never experienced this before. And so neither of you know how to do it the best way. But if, if, if you are a couple and you're doing it together, the, the key is to sit down and actually start talking about it. And 
if somebody wants to take on the role as the single person in charge of that piece, then the other person has to allow it. Um, but if you both want to be involved or if work schedules make it so you have to both be involved, um, then really walking through the expectations and what that's going to look like uh, will provide that consistency and that um, schedule kind of like place where your kids will thrive if they know exactly what to expect, regardless of who's there. Yeah. And in some ways it can work out really well. Like I'm really thankful my husband is home sometimes because he just takes over and helps and leads them in PE or something else without me asking because I'm here <laughs> with right. the headset right. on talking to a client. And sometimes that works out really well. And sometimes we butt heads, but yeah, it's definitely a challenge and something worth talking about. And, you know, and raising kids doesn't come with a manual already. And then you got this on top. <laughs> right. No, and this is a brand new experience. Like, I think we really have to step back and remember no expert has ever experienced this before. No other parent, no your parents, like nobody has experienced this before. And we're, it's new to every single one of us. And so I think allowing for that really does give us a chance to step back and reset our own expectations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I can think of another conflict, you know, brothers and sisters, siblings who have, who are a few grades apart and trying to maybe study in the same area, some bickering there. One of my clients mentioned how she's encouraging her kids to do things separately, like to one to go outside while the other watches TV or things like that to help them have some alone time and not feel like they're constantly with their sibling. I think that's super important for the kids and for the parents. Mm -hmm. Like everybody in your house needs alone time and everybody in your house needs together time. Um, and I love that she's recommending that, right? Because <laughs> we really do need that, right? I, I need that from my family. And I know for a lot of parents and moms, we kind of feel guilt around taking time for ourselves. Um, I just want to remind everyone, like, if you don't take time for yourself and take care of yourself, you can't actually be the mom you want to be. And so it's this balance of building your own self-care into your schedule as well as managing all the other pieces. Mm -hmm. It might be shorter and smaller, but making sure you get those moments as well. And with yeah. the siblings, right? They need those moments just as much as the other ones. Absolutely. All the kids are different. Like they need different things. Yes. Yes, absolutely. When it comes to taking time for myself because I fight it it seeps in anyway. Like I find myself escaping, trying to find work to do or something like that. And then it ends up bleeding everywhere. Whereas I can think of other moms who just are with their kids constantly and feel that stress. So you can go both ways. You can kind of over, <laughs> overdo it because you're not planning it. And anything yeah. else that you think would be helpful for the listeners who are parents? Absolutely. I think this is a really great time to sit down and figure out what this is like for your kids. Um, they just experienced this huge change too. They lost their school. They've lost their friends. They can't, lots of people can't go out and do what they're used to doing. Check in on them. How are they doing? What are they feeling? And then validate their feelings and say, you know what? This is hard for me too. I hate this too. And then come up with a plan together on how to kind of get through this. Um, and really just let them be part of the process so that they feel seen and heard. Um, and that's really all lots of us are looking for is to be seen and heard and to know that somebody's there listening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. 
Well, thank you so much for being here, Cassidy. We'll put a link to your um, your practice in our show notes. So if anyone listening is in Utah, they know where to find somebody awesome they can talk to. Awesome. Thank you so much, Regina. Hi, Rashawn. Welcome to the Doodle Kisses podcast. Hello. Thank Hi. You thank you us. so much. This is Ella. <laughs> they can't see your dog, but they've got a large mini golden doodle on their lap. So we've got a, more doodle owners <laughs> giving us expert advice. Um, so Lori and Rashawn are a married couple and they're both mar- uh, marriage and family therapists. Absolutely. And today, right now, we're just going to talk a little bit about, you know, kind of the struggles that couples are going through during this pandemic. Um, So tell us a little bit about what you're noticing, either within your client groups or just around with friends and relatives. What's normal for couples to be experiencing right now? (laughs) What's normal in a pandemic? (laughs) We're still trying to figure that out. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think, and I think that's a lot of what we're seeing is mm-hmm. that a lot of people are not really sure what normalcy looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and even how they define it inside of a couple is, is probably drastically different. Um, you know, what we've been talking to a lot of couples about recently is about perspective um, and how perspective is um, neither right nor wrong. It may just be different, um, right? When we're talking about crisis and how crisis impacts myself or impacts Lori, I might have a very different relationship with it. It could be um, for me, that crisis is no big deal. I, I experienced it as a kid, and every time things worked out fantastic. Maybe for Lori, that it wasn't so so much that that when crisis was there, it was traumatic. It did not turn out well, and so now our our history and our connection to that now might be drastically different. I'm more comfortable. I'm more relaxed. Maybe she's not, and so we need to be able to communicate effectively about those differences versus um, maybe attacking her perspective or she attacking my perspective because I might want to Lysol something once and she might want to Lysol it every five minutes, right? <laughs> then I'm not saying that's how she is. But, the re- <laughs> but that's the reality, right? And so, you know, we always encourage couples to be open to mm-hmm. that, that difference in perspective and try to get some understanding behind it. Why is my partner thinking this way or feeling this way versus telling them that your thought is wrong? Mm-hmm. And not taking it personally if she's trying to Lysol everything you've touched. Absolutely. Exactly. Because, because when we take it personally, we attach judgment to it. And what we're encouraging people to do is don't attach judgment to it. It doesn't have to be right. It doesn't have to be wrong. It can just be different. Yeah. And different is okay. It's, diff- it's okay if I'm experiencing something different then maybe perhaps Rayshawn is experiencing something different. I, I actually have a funny golden doodle story around this. Can I share that? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, Uh-oh, she's so going to tell our stories. About a week and a half, two <laughs> weeks ago, I was, I was saying to Rayshawn, I'm like, I think, I think Ella's having a really hard time with this social distancing. She's like this self-elected neighborhood mayor. She wants to kiss everybody. She wants to go up to everybody. She wants to kiss babies, shake hands, sniff butts. This is what she wants to do. Like she's super excited about that. She literally has a place outside that she sits and waits for people to come by and see her. So I was saying to him, I'm like, I think she's having a hard time. She's more anxious. She was growling at a duck. She's not eating. So this is my perspective, right? Rashawn's perspective is, well, that duck must have been a gangster duck. And she's not eating because she's not hungry because you're giving her a lot of treats. So even how we interpret 
the people around us or the puppies around us, that that applies our perspective on it. How we are interacting with the crisis really impacts our thoughts. And so we want to be thoughtful of that. We want to be um, we want to be still in that and aware of that and ask questions around that and not apply judgment to it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I can see some of the things I've noticed is that, you know, if one half of the couple hood used to be at work all the time and now that half is here, or maybe they were both at work and they had their own like personalities and lives that were different than the way they are at home. And now they're both home, maybe working, maybe not working. (laughs) Um, I can see how, you know, that can bring up some struggles of navigating the space and who's doing what and you're annoying me. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. thoughts do you have for those kinds of things where you're now you're just trapped together 24-7? And we just posted, uh, actually, was it yesterday, the day before yesterday? It's, a, I guess, a funny, not so funny meme uh, about um, <laughs> has an individual kind of lurking out behind a tree and he is uh, rubbing his hands together kind of in anticipation. And it basically says divorce attorneys waiting for COVID uh, to make people stay together longer in their houses. So couples will will break up essentially, right? And so it's kind of that one of those things like funny, not funny things, but Uh it's like the reality is, is that we are trying to navigate all those different things. And it's it's a difficult process. Maybe your house isn't even set up for that, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of us have become like tele video uh, experts, you know, or novices in like three days. In like three days, like all of mm-hmm. a sudden now we all have to do this online thing, and we can impede on each other's space and and really just struggle navigating that. And so you know, we we've, we've seen a lot of that, you know, kind mm-hmm. of in our even in our friendships with people, mm-hmm. like kind of struggling with what that looks like. I think really the first tip that we can say there is just practicing awareness. I mean. At the end of the day, the entire nation is dealing with a pandemic. We are all in different stages of trying to understand this pandemic. So there's a range of emotions that go into that. So I might be happy one day and trying to stay positive, And another day, I might be feeling super cranky. Um, and so mm-hmm. I think the very first tip that we might share in that is be okay with the fact that there's going to be a range of emotions. There's going to be a range of thoughts. If you need to slow down, slow down. Mm-hmm. If you need to pick up the pace, pick up the pace. Some people are saying, be productive, be positive, yeah. like do all this stuff now yeah. that you're at home. Yeah, do all those projects. All these, all projects, these projects, like write a book, learn a new language. <laughs> that's what you want. Awesome. That's what you want. But if it's not, if you need to, if you need to take a nap at uh, 10 o'clock and you woke up at eight, that's okay. <laughs> if you need to slow down, if you need to breathe, if you need to mourn, People are mourning right now. The loss people, of their freedom. People are mourning the loss of their freedom. Yeah. They're mourning the loss of their jobs. The they're mourning the loss of, of multiple deaths in the nation. They're, they're mourning the loss of the sense of, of normalcy and, and the loss of toilet paper. Mm-hmm. So, so we're mourning. Yeah. And so in mourning, sometimes we have to slow down and just have space to feel. So I think that would be a first tip that we would say is just practicing some self-awareness with where you are mm-hmm. and then some tolerance and grace with you might be somewhere completely different than everybody else in your household. Mm-hmm. And that's okay too. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think you're spot on with that. And then being comfortable with just sharing, like, you know, that was a game changer for us. If we recognize, we say, you know, you got up on the wrong side of the bed and you you kind of recognize that, go ahead and just share that. You can share it with everybody in the house if you want to. Hey, <laughs> I think I woke up on the wrong side of the bed today. I might snap. I might say something, but it has nothing to do with you. 
I'm apologizing in advance. So give you a little bit of grace because I might not be my normal self today. And so just being aware of it enough to put it out there so that people can can interact with it how they best do, right? Yeah. So that would be something we would connect to that for sure. And I, I can actually piggyback on that and say, research actually gives us a lot of information about what it's like to actually share your feelings. And research says that as you share your feelings intimately with somebody, that your positive perspective goes up. And so right now, we know that we're bombarded right now with, with content that impacts our perspective in a negative way. And so if we want to sort of amp up our positive perspective, let's share what we're feeling. Mm-hmm. So that's what that's something that we could probably add to that. Absolutely. And I love that. I love when someone's able to say, I'm just in a grouchy moment and it's not you. Mm-hmm. Like that takes such a load off of me because I'm really highly sensitive to people. Um, mm-hmm. And so I can really take that on and and personalize it, right? Even if my kids are grouchy, I'm going to be like, what am I doing wrong? You know, what have, <laughs> I, what have I done to make this happen? And it helps so much when someone can just admit, like notice for themselves, I'm feeling crummy right now and I might snap and it's not you. Just, yes. <laughs> just so you know. Yeah. This was a game changer in our relationship. When we can just own and take responsibility for what we're feeling and we can go into a ton of research about the benefits of actually taking responsibility. I mean, we won't bore your listeners, <laughs> but essentially if you can just take responsibility and say, Hey, I'm feeling this and this is what's going on. Man, it was a game changer for us and our relationship and for the couples that we work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other thing we sort of touched on with the other therapist I had on just a little bit ago, if one parent is used to being kind of the household manager in the parent, right? Like let's the stereotypical mom is at home more and now dad is home more (laughs) Um, and mom is used to kind of figuring out the schedule and managing the children and what they do and disciplining in her way and now dad is home or you know vice it could be vice versa too maybe none of them are home and now suddenly they're like oh wait (laughs) I thought we were on the same page with parenting but we keep butting heads about how things are done any tips for that Absolutely. Um, I think, I guess probably I say tip one would be um, to remember how you start something nine times out of 10 is how you're going to finish. And what I mean by that is this, let's say that you thought you were on the same page and you're recognizing that we do things a little bit different and it's it's rubbing me the wrong way. So how I bring that to my partner partner Mm -hmm. is everything. So I can either come in, what we will say, and research says is a harsh startup or a softened startup, right? I can be really harsh and say, the way you bathe our children at night is really annoying and I don't <laughs> like it and you don't do it right. That would be more of a harsh startup. Soften might be something like, you know, hey, I appreciate you taking, uh, taking time to give the kids a bath. I, I have a couple of concerns with how it's happening. Are you okay if we talk about that, mm-hmm. right? That sounds and feels way different. Uh, a lot of times we say, are you approaching your partner with a closed fist or are you approaching them with an open hand? A closed fist makes me want to be defensive. And so now I feel attacked. And so I probably will respond as such. If I come as an open hand, it's inviting me into a conversation. And so hopefully we can find a compromise maybe mm-hmm. or a certain way to do that differently. So I think that would be maybe tip one is to be mm-hmm. really aware of how you uh, initiate your complaint. Complaints are perfectly fine in a relationship. They're actually healthy. Um, they help you grow. But how you introduce that is everything. Mm-hmm. And really the bridge to compromise is being able to understand both people's perspective. Yeah. So we kind of talked about perspective earlier. 
And, and essentially, if you're trying to get to compromise, which is really a mutual decision about what we're going to do, not you have to do it my way and only my <laughs> way, but compromises, we are both sort of leaning into understanding Wait, that. it's not compromise? <laughs> <laughs> we're leaning into a different way of doing things based on your perspective and my perspective. The only way that you can get there is to understand both perspectives. So you've got to talk about that. You've got to have space for that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it sounds a lot like teamwork, like you're my partner in this and we both believe in having bats for the kids. And here's how, here's some things that I care about. What do you Mm -hmm. think about that versus like, you idiot, (laughs) like, don't you know, you don't use that soap? (laughs) Because that right away is going to create some deep, Fence, right? Yeah. Like yeah. I'm gonna protect myself. I'm gonna that. protect my character. <laughs> I'm gonna protect my hopes and dreams for helping this family. And now I feel attacked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you want to try to uh, eliminate that as much as you possibly can, um, and so you can experience more positive uh, perspective in your relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that perspective taking seems very important. <laughs> to just it's just recognizing, so okay, I might think I'm right, but there's another side to this. Even if I may not agree with it, it's it's valid for my partner. Absolutely. I think it's important across the board, but right now the pandemic is is literally creating a spotlight that's shining on families. There's lots of togetherness. There's lots of perhaps even unwelcome togetherness. And, and so we're trying to now navigate this new life together in a different way. And so, so we're, we're very, um, aware of what's going on. We're aware of you breathing, right? We're aware of the space. We're aware of how we're, how we're interacting with it. We were both trying to do a separate call the other day and I was in one room and he was in the other and I sent him a text. I'm like, you're talking loud. <laughs> like we're, we're just overlapping a lot more mm-hmm. than normal. And, and so, so we're shining a spotlight on it. So how we talk about it is so important. Mm-hmm. And what about just the romantic side of a relationship? You're together constantly now. So how do you um, find time to do things on purpose? <laughs> like, ah. how- uh-huh. I, I well, think you a- nailed it. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, I was going to make a joke about everybody <laughs> talking about the, the, the next like set of Corona babies. And <laughs> because we're all like together, there's mm-hmm. going to be a lot more intimacy or opportunities mm-hmm. for that. Yeah, there's a lot of assumption around that. But yeah. I think you nailed it. You said yeah. do things on purpose, right? Be intentional. Um, and I think that's something, especially if there's a house full of children, maybe you've got family, other families staying in the household. And so in order for you to still have that level of connection and, and, and personal attention, mm-hmm. you have to be a little intentional in that. And that might be a little bit of planning. Um, that might feel weird. That might feel a little bit mm-hmm. awkward to have a scheduled, you know, kind of play night, you know, as couples. But there's also can build a little bit of um, excitement around that. You know, people can start to prep and prepare for that. A what little kind of play night are you talking about? I'm talking about an <laughs> intimate night, you know, where, you know, hump day could be different for everybody on Wednesdays, you know. So you have to be a little careful about that. But, you know, it, jokingly, but, you know, it's okay to be intentional. About that, and say, hey, you know, I really want to make sure that we have time to connect that way. There's a mm-hmm. lot of emotions happening right now, and that might move to the bottom of the list for some. As mm-hmm. we are really focused on survival, yeah, that part of truth. us can turn off. Mm-hmm. And so, if you've got a partner that is super, uh, let's say, high energy, 
in, in that level, in that area, and really wants to connect in that zone, and they don't understand why their partner is not reciprocating, you need to be able to talk about that and, and let each other know where you are with that, and then set a plan of action, hopefully, that you can be intentional about making that space and time important for both of you. Mm -hmm. And really, Adina, this applies across the board, not just mm -hmm. in crisis or pandemic. We talk to couples all the time about being intentional about your togetherness. There's a lot of research, and we, we, we really come from a research lens. So there's a lot of research that the Gottmans put out about building your love map on a consistent basis. So your love maps are the things that really are um, elements of who you are as individuals and elements of who you are as couples. So you want to constantly and intentionally build on those love maps, whether there's a pandemic or not. Mm -hmm. And so intentionality is really key across the board, I would say. Yeah. And building those love maps are through a small interactions throughout the day, mm -hmm. right? We're yeah. asking questions. I'm checking in on you. How was your work day? What's going on? What's new for you? What's your hopes and dreams through this process? Mm -hmm. And in doing that, you're kind of updating that love map. It's similar to like the old school Garmin's mm -hmm. or whatever that, you know, you had to like update it every so often. If you didn't, you would end up driving into the ocean because there's no road there anymore, right? And so you need to update your love map so that we can be on the same page about what's going on in our lives each day. And I know they have an app now. The Gottmans have a love map app that mm -hmm. I've seen. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Do. I'll yep. put that on our show great. notes. Oh, yeah, good. Sure. Yes. Cool. Really. Do. It's a lot of fun questions. <laughs> um, yeah, there's, there's, there's intimacy-based questions, there's open-ended questions, there's all types of different things that couples can do when they're like, we don't really know what to talk about, we don't want to talk about corona anymore, yeah. so then you can just open up that app and just have some fun with some open-ended questions and yeah. get to know new things. Every time we open that app, we learn something new about each other. Every time. We've been um, together for... 15 years. Thank you. And <laughs> he's always, he's the go-to with the numbers, I'm not. Um, we know our strengths. And literally, and we're couples therapists, we talk a lot, a lot, but we open up this app and we learn something new every single time, whether it's a childhood story or it's like a new experience that we're having or a new interest. And so we highly recommend it. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I imagine if you need to schedule time together, it's also a good idea to schedule some alone time on purpose too, especially if for parents. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. There's, um, there's a lot to be said about being able to have independent time where you can practice self-care. We talk about a lot about self-care and then partner care, self-soothing, partner soothing, right? And so being able to have some go-to things that you like to do where it's just you, whether it's painting or taking a bath or calling a friend that you haven't spoke to in a while and you know, doing some FaceTime with them, having some of your own individual time to invest in yourself is 100% important as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Anything else that you think is that we haven't covered that is really important for couples during this pandemic time? I would say probably maybe something we've already touched on, but just I think to to be easy on yourselves yeah, during this I time. Sure. Um, I think, like I said, we're all navigating something that's completely new to us. Um, and so each week, each day, in fact, it's different for most. Um, and so there's going to be a lot of changes and shifts in our emotional selves and our physical mm -hmm. selves, even in your financial, like mm -hmm. every aspect of people is being impacted right Spiritual, now. Uh, yeah. And so I think just to, to, to be a little easy, sometimes we can be our worst critics and have high expectations for what we're supposed to do and be. And the reality is, is that might shift for us for a little bit of time, but it will only be for a little bit of time. 
Mm-hmm. And so to just as try to operate in love in that as mm-hmm. kindness to yourself and others as best you can. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, it sounds maybe a little cheesy, a little corny. We are, we are marriage and family therapists, um, but, and corny. but reality is, you know, love can carry us through a lot of different things. And so if we can start to share love and kindness with not just those that we live with, but those that we interact with in the world, I think we can help each other navigate through this a lot in a lot mm-hmm. more positive way. And not to be too completely rainbows and butterflies, but sometimes we have to invite them into the room, right? So if we want love, be love. If we want kindness, be kind. If we want peace, create an environment of peace. So we have to also set intention of that. Just like we said earlier, set an intention to be together as a couple, set an intention to invite positivity into your space, to invite love into your space. Yeah, yeah, be a doodle. (laughs) Yes! Oh my exactly. I'm working on the yeah, hair. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, see That's joy exactly and kindness everywhere. Absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. Like just approach life with this like wonder and this like connection. And I just want to live and be excited and just to love and be connected. Yes. Mm-hmm. Love it. Well, thank you, Rashawn. And thank you, Lori. I'll link to your website. Where are you located again? We're located at elevatingrelationships.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, what state or? Oh, what state? Oh. We are, we are, our, our office is actually located in Plantation, Florida, and we're in Florida. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And are you licensed anywhere outside of Florida? Just in case. We are not. Okay. No. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you being here. And such a pleasure. Absolutely. Yeah. Have a great evening. You too. Thank you thank so you. much, Adina. Have a great night. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Doodle Kisses podcast. If you have any ideas or recommendations for future topics or guests, send me an email at admin at doodlekisses.com. That's A-D-M-I-N at doodlekisses.com. Also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or however you get your podcasts so you can have every episode ready to listen to as soon as it comes out. The show notes will link you to our GoFundMe page as well as links to some of the things we discussed in today's episode. Talk to you next time on the next episode of the Doodle Kisses podcast.